Let's take our Bibles here in the auditorium, turn to Romans chapter 8 this morning, Romans chapter 8. Let me quickly remind you that next Sunday night, we have our connection group night, or Sunday night connect as we call it, and a few years ago, we started what we call connection groups, and essentially, it's our Sunday school classes, we just changed the name a little bit. Because we found that in our community, if we'd say, come to Sunday school, they say, well, that's for children. But we want everybody to get connected. And so Sunday school is part of our connection groups. But our connection groups also have fellowships and they have activities and different things that go on throughout the year. And about three or four times a year, we do what we call Sunday Night Connect. We did it New Year's Eve, and then this year uh, is Family Day weekend, so we thought on the Sunday night we'd have a Sunday Night Connect. That's next Sunday night, all right? So if you're not connected, some people say, well, I don't like missing a Sunday night service. Here's the thing. On Sunday nights, we have about 120 to 130 people in church, but on Sunday Night Connect nights, we have near 200 that come to hear the preaching of the word. Now, it's not the same message. There's different, every class has their own preaching, their own message, but uh, I'm thrilled to see that many people come to church. And uh, it might be in homes in different places, but where two or three are gathered, amen? That's where Christ is. And so we're thankful for that. But also, let me, the reason I'm promoting this is it's a great opportunity to get connected. And what I mean by that is sometimes, and I'm, you know, I understand everybody's got a different level of commitment or what have you, sometimes we come to church and we get here at, at uh, 10.30 for the morning service, we leave at noon, and then we don't come again until next Sunday at 10.30. And then we wonder why nobody knew I was sick. Nobody knew I was in the hospital. Nobody knew there was a death in my family. Well, those smaller groups are a great way to get connected, and those teachers will look in on you and help you and, and uh, encourage you. You can share prayer requests. You can pray with one another. Bear one another's burdens as the scripture mandates that we do. And so let me encourage you to get connected. Now, here's what's going to happen. Tomorrow morning, you're going to receive an email. If you're on our email list, you'll get an email, and all the different connection groups will be laid out there. And if you say, you know what, I know somebody that would benefit from coming next Sunday night to a connection group, you can click on the logo for your group. It'll say teenagers, it'll say whatever. And if you click on teenagers, an email will automatically be generated to go to Pastor Paul. And you can say, hey, Pastor Paul, would you pray that this person might come? I'm going to invite them. Maybe you could invite them as well and encourage them to come next Sunday night to our connection group meeting and uh, get them connected with our church a little, a little more firmly, all right? And so we're going to have that go out tomorrow. And you can just email your connection group leader and encourage them to help you pray for somebody and to invite somebody new to come to your connection group meeting. It's always a great opportunity and a great night of fellowship. So that's next Sunday night, and I hope that'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Well, I'm glad, uh, I want you to pray for uh, some folks, of course, remembering Daniel in the hospital. Daniel is progressing, and he's starting to eat a little bit of food and things like that. He has to be able to swallow pills before he can come home and take medications on his own, but he is progressing, and we're praying that he comes home this week, all right? So let's pray specifically that he comes home this week, that his throat heals enough that he can uh, take more food, more solid foods and things, and, uh, but we're thrilled to see. And he's trying. Uh, Calvin and I were visiting this week with him, and he's saying to the, bring me, bring me this and bring me that. I want to try it. I want to go home. And so as long as he's starting to swallow things, that's a wonderful thing. Continue to pray for him and, of course, the next steps of treatment, and uh, we're thankful for that. And we're good to have Brother Roberts here this morning. He's been, been praying for him for quite a while now. I'm so glad that he is back. And uh, continue to pray as he gains back his strength now at this hour as well. Let's remember Linda McCall, still struggling with her health, and uh, so many others, and I'm sure we'll hear more 
more about at the end of the service. Uh, good to have Bethany home this week, and I want you to remind it, if you could, uh, Bethany's all done her paramedic training. Everything has gone well. She passed everything, and, uh, but she has the equivalent of her boards this week on Wednesday, all right? And I don't know what else to call them, but there's a, a big test that she has to take on Wednesday, correct? And it's a written exam, she has to take that. And then on Saturday, she has her physical examination in Ottawa. And if she passes those two things, she's really been offered about three different jobs at this point. Waterloo and different places have already hired her. If she passes these tests, she's in. So would you pray that uh, these are b- big tests? She uses words that I've never heard before. <laughs> medical terms. And I mean, I studied Greek and Hebrew and I haven't heard any of these words. And so uh, I'm, I'm very proud of her. And she has a friend, Marina, here this morning. We're so glad. Marina uh, is a friend that she works with at a restaurant. And uh, Marina is a Baptocostal. I can see that. And uh, so uh, she enjoyed the worship. I, I'm going to be honest. I love sitting up here and watching people enjoy worship. Blesses my heart to see people just smiles on their face and worshiping the Lord. And, and uh, somebody's going to have to put some ropes around Rick. They'll tie him down a little bit. And, uh, but man, we love worshiping, don't we, Brother Rick? And it's so good and such a blessing. And I'll tell you what, I've said this before, and I, this is an exaggeration, but if the church worships properly, the preacher can get up and say, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall and it moves hearts. Now, that's an exaggeration, obviously, but it makes my job so much easier when the Spirit of God is moving in the surface. And so let's look at Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8, I've, I've been sitting on a message for several weeks, and I, and I had it ready for this morning. I'm still not going to preach it because the Lord has been dealing with my heart. Our theme for this year, of course, is by His Spirit. By His Spirit. And as we've been studying and learning more about the Holy Spirit of God, it is becoming very evident to me how much I lack in this area. And how much I need to know him better because, to, listen, to know the Holy Spirit is to know Christ because he will guide me into all truth. Jesus said he will testify of me. And so we, he, he, will, he said this also, he will bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. And so the wonderful blessing of the Holy Spirit is we get to know Christ better and we get to know the Father better. And so we need to learn how to rely upon him. And as I looked at the message from this morning that I had from Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it was impressed upon my heart the entire book or the entire chapter of Romans 8 is about the Spirit of God. And so I think uh, what the Lord is leading me to do is to preach a series through the book of Romans chapter 8. And I began to work on that a bit this week and think about those things. And I thought, I better not start in the middle. And so we're going to start at the beginning today, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. I'm going to read several verses, but we're just going to focus on the goal, on the goal, if you will. And and I want you just to to think about as we begin next week, we'll start back at verse 1 and we'll start looking at little bits of things. But Romans chapter 8... Romans chapter 8 is a book of contrasts, or it's a chapter of contrasts, if you will. As Paul speaks about the Spirit, we see several things in here. We see the contrast of the flesh versus the Spirit. The flesh versus the Spirit. That'll become very evident as I read this morning. We see the, the contrast of death versus life. Death versus life. If we follow the flesh, it leads to death. If we follow the spirit, it leads to life. And so we see those contrasts. We see the contrasts of freedom versus bondage. 
Now, the word bondage is not used, but the opposite of freedom is bondage, right? We are in bondage under the law, and the word law is used. We are free from the law of sin and death. And so we see those contrasts that come forward in the book of Romans. Now, look, if you will, I'm just going to read these few verses this morning, and then we're going to jump back to verse 1. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. Now, I'm not going to necessarily be expository on those four verses that I'll about to read, but we are going to work our way through the chapter, and we're going to see kind of an introductory to this chapter about the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, let's be careful. Let's be careful. Sometimes we might look at a verse like that and say, well, does that mean I have to be 100% sanctified, set apart, and led by the Spirit of God to be identified as a child of God? That's not what the Scripture is saying. I believe it is telling us it is an evidence in our life that we are the sons of God when we are led by Him. There are some folks in this world that we can look at and say, they are obviously God's children because the Spirit of God leads them. You can see every step they take. I remember reading a book uh, several years ago by a, a Canadian preacher named Henry Blackaby. And he, he would say in his book that he never sought out an opportunity to serve. All he did was pray. God, put me where you want me. He never, he never candidated to pastor a church. He never went and put in a resume anywhere. But there'd be times where he'd go to a place and he'd preach to fill the pulpit on a Sunday night and they'd call him that week and say, hey, we voted you in as pastor 100%. He said, I didn't even know I was candidating. But if that's what the Lord wants, I will follow. And there's folks like that in this world that are led by the Spirit in such a way, I believe it's an evidence that they are a child of God. And that's what he is saying. He's talking about wearing our faith on our sleeves. Letting the world know that we are children of God because we are led by the Spirit of God. Now look at verse 15. He says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. It is sad that those who have the indwelling Spirit of God living in their life walk as if they are in bondage. Live in sin. Because here's the thing, if you're going to live in sin, you're going to be subject to the law. That's the truth. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And I'm so thankful that Christ paid that price for me when he died on the cross of Calvary. But listen, there are other penalties of sin. When we live in sin, there is a penalty. How many of you know, and don't raise your hand, but just answer this in your heart. When you sin and God punishes you, you always know what that punishment's for. By the way, that's a good thing because the Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. It allows you to know that you're a child of God when the chastening hand of our Lord works in our lives. And, and so look what it says, verse 15. I might not even get through these verses. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He says, don't walk in sin and don't live in the old world because now you're a child of God. You have a father in heaven. Well, I'm so glad that I answer to a father who is full of grace. Well, there are those on this world that would crush us for our sin. But Christ says, my blood is sufficient. And he pays the price and he forgives us. Verse 16. Oh, this is important. Listen. 
The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Salvation and the evidence of our faith in Christ, we always push this. It is not an experiential thing. We always say, I don't have to feel anything to know that I'm saved because we have the clear facts of the word of God. But listen, if you're truly saved, you ought to experience the spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. There's no greater reminder. There really is not. My wife was teaching the other day a class and she said this. She says, you know my husband, that's me, by the way. She says, he reminds me every single day and several times a day that he loves me. How many of you tell your children whenever you see them that you love them? That's what the Father does. That's what the Spirit does. He bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of the Most High God. If you have not experienced that, friend, you're missing out. Honestly, it often comes in the darkest trials where he whispers, hush, everything will be okay. It comes in the darkest nights. But you know when else it happens? It happens when we worship him together. How many times did you hear this morning as the choir sang or the ensemble sang or we sang as a congregation, how many times did you hear Jesus whisper, I love you? I did all this for you. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That phrase, the mercies of God, always, it always causes me to trip. The fact that he said mercy is not mercy. The fact that he wants us to number them, to count them out, that they are the manifold blessings of God in our lives, that Christ not only died on a cross, but he rose again, that he's coming again, that he will redeem me unto himself, that I can live with him for eternity, that he's gone to prepare a place for me, and he will come again and receive me unto himself. The mercies of God. Every time we read or sing of those things, He's telling us afresh and anew that he loves us. In verse 17, and of children, if we are children of God, we are then heirs. That means you're partakers of everything Christ has. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Our Heavenly Father, in the next few moments, I pray that you'd help us speak to our hearts today. Lord, as we just introduced some thoughts this morning about this series that we will embark on about the Spirit of God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I desperately need your filling. I've asked for it all morning. And I believe, Lord, that if you would fill us today, Lord, that you could communicate these truths to our hearts and, and change us from within. Help us to grow today. And Lord, I pray that you would help. Maybe there's one here that would say, you know, I've... I've never experienced that spirit bearing witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. Oh God, I pray that they would work out their salvation today with fear and trembling. Lord, that they would realize that they're a lost and condemned sinner on their way to hell. 
but for the mercy of Christ that came along and shed his blood to pay the price for their sin, Lord, uh, Lord, they could be born again today if they would just trust in the gospel message. Oh God, help us and speak to our hearts, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Jump back to Romans chapter one, or sorry, Romans chapter eight and verse one, if you would. Romans chapter eight and verse one, so I'm just have to turn one page. Listen, how many of you love this verse? We just sang, the blood of Jesus speaks for me. And that one phrase, no condemnation now I dread. What a wonderful thought that there is therefore now, no condemnation. To them which are in Christ Jesus who walk after the flesh, but after, walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I want you to notice something this morning that if we are going to be influenced by the Spirit of God, if we are to follow the scriptural commands as it tells us in Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit of God and in Galatians chapter 4 tells us that we are to walk in the Spirit and that we fulfill not the lust of the flesh. If we are going to follow those scriptural admonitions in our lives, we first must know Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation. That implies there once was. That implies there are a group of people in this world today that are lost and on their way to a, a, a crisis eternity in a place called hell because they are under the condemnation of God. I was up early this morning and I decided to put on a preaching video. And I was listening to a sermon uh, a book, about the book of Revelation and it was, it was quite interesting on the church of Thyatira. And the pastor who was preaching went through four of the different churches quickly in summary, ones that he, or three that he'd already covered in, in Thyatira, and he showed that the gospel message, uh, the first church of Ephesus, of course, had lost their, left their first love. And he said, what was their first love? And we always say, well, it's Christ. It's Christ. But he says, I know thy works, that thou hast left thy first love. You know the first love of the early church? You know what it was? It was preaching the gospel of Christ. It was going forth in the fullness of the spirit of God and preaching and teaching and telling the whole world about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, but this church had left their first love and their works were now dead. They weren't doing the first works. And the repentance in that passage was return now to thy first works. They weren't accomplishing it any longer. And then he showed another church and he said, this is a church that compromised he says they were revived from the first works and they returned to the works of God of preaching the gospel, but they compromised in that they only wanted to preach the good stuff. How many of you have ever been to a church like that? They only want to preach about love and grace and mercy, but never want to preach about judgment and hell. Then the third church also compromised because they added to the gospel. They began to become permissive in their doctrines they began to shy away from the gospel and preach a good works religion. But then the church of Thyatira, their problem was this was the church of immorality. This was the church of Jezebel. He says their problem is they've, they've come to a full cultural embrace. He says it called it a bed of harlots in this church. And the thing that scares me the most of all is when we begin to compromise we begin to leave the first works of preaching the full gospel. And so some might say, oh, I, I, I was preaching a, a funeral several years ago. Or I was asked to preach a funeral several years ago. And, and the daughter came to me. I had, I had buried mom, and now dad was dying. And he had asked me to do his funeral. 
He was a faithful member of our church. And, and when, he, when I preached his wife's funeral, he said, here's what I, make sure you preach the gospel and make sure you tell them about uh, uh, hell and, and heaven, how, how they can gain heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. And make sure, and so I, I did just what he asked and preached the gospel and was thrilled to do so. And now his, he was dying in a hospital and asked me to preach his funeral. And his daughter came and she said, hey, listen, I, I, I understand he's asked you to do his funeral. I said, yes, ma'am. And she says, can you just preach on love and mercy and acceptance and don't be hellfire and brimstone? This was a professing Christian lady, faithful to her church. And I thought, oh my, how we've compromised. Well, I love to hear about those things too. But never forget there's condemnation in the judgment of God. You read the book of Revelation, you'll find out that he is coming to judge the world by the word of God as the sword of the spirit goes out of his mouth and slays the nations that lie in wickedness. But I'm so thankful today that there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. I want to give you just some words quickly this morning to help you remember. First of all, if we are going to fulfill the scriptural obligations of walking in the spirit and being filled with the spirit, we must first know the spirit. You must be born again. And so the word I put beside this verse this morning was the word position. What is your spiritual position? Are you in Christ? Or are you not in Christ? This Bible is very plain. He that hath the Son hath life. But he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you'll look down the passage this morning in Romans chapter 8, I'll direct your attention to another verse that I wrote the word position beside. It's verse 9. Notice what it says, but ye are not. He's speaking to the church at Rome. He's talking to saved people, born again people. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Friend, there is such a movement in the world today that everybody is a child of God. Everybody's going to heaven one day. No, no, if you have not the spirit of Christ, you are none of his. Do you have the spirit of Christ today? He said, well, how do I, how can I know if the spirit of Christ dwells in me? John chapter three tells us, doesn't it? In John chapter 3, the Bible says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, that's an exclusive gospel. Yes, the Bible is exclusive. The Bible is exclusive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father but by me. It's an exclusive gospel. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the, what's the next word? Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You see, when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you 
confess to him that you're a sinner and you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Calvary. And what I mean by that is that Jesus Christ died in your place. He shed his blood to pay the price for your sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day to to complete the plan of salvation, to verify he really was the very son of God. When you put your faith and trust in him, you are born again of the spirit. It is a work of God. And as God comes, just as sure as you are born of the flesh, born of the water, the water breaks when a woman gives birth. Just as sure as you are born of the flesh and living and breathing here today, you can be born of the Spirit, as the songwriter said, born of the Spirit with life from above into his presence divine. Wonderful promise that we can be born of the Spirit of God. And when he When he saves you, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, he says this, in in whom you also trusted after that ye heard the word of the truth. Now listen, listen to that, that, that order here. In whom ye also trusted. Have you trusted Christ? Have you believed on him? I don't mean simple belief that is a, a, a nod of the head or a moral assent, that you're just believing that he exists. I mean, have you received him by faith? Have you trusted him? The Bible says, in whom you also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, listen to what happens next, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance under the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Friend, when you were born again, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God came in. Now are you letting him work? You say, how can I control the Spirit of God? Listen, the Spirit will do what he wants. It was described this way by Jesus, the wind bloweth where it listeth. God can do whatever he wants, but here's what I also know. The scripture says you can grieve the Holy Spirit and you can vex the Holy Spirit and you can sin against the Holy Spirit and Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Ghost. And when we sin against God, our relationship is strained and hurt. Think about simply the sin of pride. The Bible says it this way, God resisteth the proud. He throttles back your service. He puts something upon your life that makes you less effective because of the sin of pride. But when we walk in the spirit of God and we fulfill not the lust of the flesh, then we see the power of God is able to work. How do we achieve it? By simply trusting in him. When you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God moves in and he indwells you. And after he indwells you, you can walk in the Spirit and you can be filled with the Spirit. That's a whole other thing, isn't it? That has to deal with confession of our sin. That has to do with sanctification. That has to do with surrender unto God. But friend, the first step today is being indwelt. Do you know him? Is he part of your life? Has the Spirit of God borne witness with your spirit that you are the child of God? I want you to see, first of all, the position. Number two, the provision. Look at verse two, Romans chapter eight. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Hey, when you get saved, God provides something for you. It's called freedom. 
Freedom from the law of sin. Freedom from the bondage and the chains of death because you are uh, forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. Now verse 4 is another word, purpose. What is the purpose of changing my position and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ that he might provide freedom for me. Here's the purpose, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Listen, when God gave his law, there was a purpose. It was so that man would know the mind of God and the will of God, and we would strive to live according to his precepts. But we failed. But God said Christ came along. And he put his spirit in our lives. And he washed us in our blood. Because what the law could not accomplish, Christ could. He could change you by his spirit. His purpose. But once we have his purpose in our life, there's only a couple more, but hang in there. Notice our pursuit. Do you know that when you you get saved, your appetites ought to change? The things that you go after, it doesn't always, always happen at once, does it? I, I know there's things now that are distasteful to me that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, maybe I didn't think so much about it. But notice what the scripture says in verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The world is in the flesh. That's just a fact, isn't it? There is nothing in this world that is pleasing to God. Because all that's in this world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's what the Bible says. But you know what the sad thing is? When Christians have the Spirit of God indwelling them and live in the flesh, then we're not pleasing to God. That's what he's saying. We see a lot of it today in the house of God. We see a lot of it today. The preacher this morning I listened to went so far as to say, and he, he named a particular denomination. He said, he read a, an article that they had made this new profession about homosexual unions and ordaining transgender into their, into their clergy and all the rest. And he said, listen, they have lost their lampstand. They are no longer a church. They do not stand upon the principles of the word of God. They are in the flesh and not the spirit. There's a fly right getting in my glasses. Good night. That happened last week too, and y'all didn't see it, but that one got right in my eye. I got a big landing strip. (laughs) What are your pursuits? What are your appetites? They that are in the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are in the spirit, the things of the spirit. You say, which one wins? The one you feed. The one you feed. What are you 
You're reading your Bible. You're praying. You're seeking God. Matthew 6 says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. What are you seeking? What is your pursuit? And then I want you to notice this. Look at verse 10. I'm I'm just giving you this as a bonus. You ready? And we'll be done in a minute. Notice, I like this, the perks. I wrote that down this morning, the perks. Hey, there's there's great joy in serving Jesus. There's no better life. No better life. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. He said, well, I don't, I don't like that, that idea that the body is dead. Hey, you're dead already. You're dead already. Ephesians chapter two says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The scripture is not, not saying I'm gonna kill, kill this, this flesh. It's already a dead man walking. He's saying instead I'm gonna give you new life in the spirit of God. I'm going to give you new life in Christ. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. My, you know, my, my favorite song that Brother Bruce Fry sings is The Old Man is Dead. What a great song. What a great testimony of Scripture that all things remain. Now, what are the perks? Hey, you have new life because of the Spirit of God. Verse 11, but if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, listen to this, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit. One day, you'll be resurrected from the grave. Not just your spiritual body, but your physical body, because he raised up Christ from the dead. Here's what what Paul wrote to the Philippians, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We're inseparably linked to Christ by his spirit. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Underline that in your Bible, verse 14, the sons of God. Ladies, don't be offended. That's a generic term for child. The children of God. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Here's the third perk we'll look at this morning. We are children of the most high God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Let me finish off this last thought this morning. You are adopted into the family of God. Do you know, in our church, we have an unusual proportion of people that adopt children. I think that's a wonderful thing. Children that need homes. And we were talking about that just, just a little while ago. And whether, whether they're adopted in or taken in and helped and living with people and, and, and the families are trying to encourage them along and help them. Adopt. But do you know what an adoption is? It gives full rights and privileges. It is a legal standing. You are just as much a child of that parent as, as a natural born child might be. But here's the good news. Not only are we adopted, we are born into this family. 
Except a man be born again, born of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let me ask you this, friends. Go back to that verse, I believe it's 16. Has the Spirit of God borne witness with your spirit that you're his child, that you belong to him? Do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Christ lives within you and you've been sealed under the day of redemption by his Spirit? That's our introduction to this chapter. As we look at different themes of the Romans chapter 8 over the coming weeks, I want you to remember this. The overarching theme is Christ loves you. He died for you because he wants you to be part of his family. And never forget what he's saving you from. A Christless eternity under the condemnation of the judgment of God in a place called hell. What a wonderful blessing we've been set free but only for those who've called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me this morning for a moment? Why don't we stand to our feet? If God has spoke to your heart, this altar is open even now, but let me ask you, friend, do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you trusted him? Have you believed upon him? Have you received him into your life? Has Christ ever allowed his spirit to speak to your heart and testify that you are his child. Let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling today. Let's be sure that we're in the faith. Do you know Christ? And go back to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. If, if, we, if that's all you got today, it's wonderful. There is therefore now no condemnation, but it's, it's qualified to them that are in Christ Jesus. I'm just going to say it again and again that you might memorize it this morning. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. One more time. Say it with me. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. The implication is there are some that are not in Christ Jesus. That abide under the wrath of God. And this time right now is a space for them to repent and turn to God and make it right. How can they make it right? Only by trusting in what Jesus Christ has done for us as he paid the price of our sins on the cross of Calvary.